Hello, Teenage America. My name is Susie Cream Cheese. <coughs> I'm Susie Cream Cheese because I've never worn fake eyelashes in my whole life, and I never made it on the surfing set, and I never made it in the beatnik set, and I couldn't cut the groupie set either. And, um, actually, I really fucked up in Europe. <coughs> now that I've done it all over, nobody else will accept me. I've come home to my mother's. Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss Frank Zappa. What you are about to hear is deeply disturbing. Uh, I knew you'd be surprised! special guest host, Dennis Bandiro. Hey there, people. My name's Dennis Bandiro. You might remember me from such past podcasts as Humble Pie, Queen, and Good Aerosmith. Donnie asked me to host one on my own, and that's what I'm doing, although I suspect it's just because he got tired of editing my ramblings. So I'm on my own now. And for starters, I picked a very simple topic, Frank Zappa. Anyone who knows anything about Frank Zappa would know that he's not simple. This is a man who was equally adept at recording, production, composition of pop music, rock music, jazz music, doo-wop, and was a legitimate 20th century classical composer. And if that wasn't enough, he was also a unique and groundbreaking rock guitar player. His music was complex, but also uh, demonstrated a lot of emotion. Also, it contained much humor, sarcasm, satire, social commentary, and some, once again, deep emotional connection if you give it a try. The only reason I think that I can even 
attempt to pull this off in some degree is because about the age of 19, I was invited to what was called a Zapathon by a couple of older guys I worked with uh, at the time. Really, I was still in a kind of a headbanging life. Uh, I had branched out a little bit, so I showed up and they told me wisely to bring my tape deck. Anybody remembers what those were? So I brought my little cassette deck over there and they hooked it in and they pulled out all their vinyl. And literally, for an all day on a Sunday with a lot of um, help, we listened to nothing but Frank Zappa for about eight hours solid. It must have been right place, right time, because from the first couple of notes they played of the first track, I was blown away by what I was hearing. Uh, it hit me like a hammer. I luckily recorded just about all of it because in those days it was very difficult to find a lot of this stuff on vinyl. It was out of print, it was always back behind a counter in some plastic bag for $75. I don't know why that was back then. So uh, I recorded seven, eight cassettes full of this stuff and I literally lived inside that music for another probably five years of my life. I think I drove a lot of people crazy, but I learned so much from it, and so I think that alone I can get away with this. I don't want to bore you anymore, so let's move on, and I'm going to do my best to introduce you or help you celebrate Frank Zappa and his music. That was The Channels from 1956. That would have been something a 16-year-old Frank Zappa would have enjoyed immensely while living in Lancaster, California in the Mojave Desert. Along with early rock and roll and doo-wop, Frank was also a big fan of blues and blues guitar playing, particularly Johnny Guitar Watson and this solo, which he cited often as being his primary influence on guitar. He was such a big fan of Johnny Watson that he later invited him to play on several records in later decades. Look 
Those low notes he hits in there are total Frank Zappa. So the last influence we're going to listen to is going to go way off the beaten path. This is very unusual that a 14, 15-year-old would have ran across this and become obsessed with it to the point of asking on a 15th birthday to call up the composer in New York. A long-distance phone call would have been a big deal back then. So, if you're new to this, you didn't see that coming. That's Edgar Varez. So, if you take these three things, mix them together, you get Frank Zappa. Yeah, it's not that easy, but you certainly get an idea of where his first act, the Mothers of Invention, were coming from. Why should I embrace the two? 
mother's debut, Freak Out, came out in 1966, a double album no less, and was quite different in attitude than the number one and two songs of 1966, The Ballad of the Green Berets and Cherish by The Association. Mr. America, walk on by your schools that do not teach. Mr. America, walk on by the minds that won't be reached. Mr. America, try to hide the emptiness that's you inside. But once you find that the way you lied and all the corny tricks you tried will not forestall the rising tide of hungry freaks, Daddy. Acidic social commentary, the mothers also provided beautiful melodies. When I won your love, I was very glad. 
Every happiness in the world belonged to me Then our love was lost and you went away Now I shed my tears in lonely misery I know now that you never ever really loved me It hurts me now to think you never ever really cared I sit and ask myself a thousand times to try and find What really happened to the love that we shared How could I be such a fool? How could I believe all those lies you told me? How could I be taken in by your sweet face? You spoil our love, you ruin my life. I'm so told out, I'm terrible, disgrace. That's just three tracks off the first record. Frank proceeded to make 40 more records, approximately, with original music in his lifetime. Throw in another 20 on top of that of live albums, and you have quite a canon to explore. As such, I'll be skipping around to my favorites. In 1967, the Mothers released Absolutely Free, including the astounding Brown Shoes Don't Make It, the story of a corrupt politician. Oh, wow. 
the back of the city hall mind the dream of a girl about 13 On the phone, gotta meet the 
I'm so glad I finished school. loyal plastic robot in a world that doesn't care. That's about right. Frank's lyrics and the mother's performances were definitely uncompromising. That would be a hallmark of the rest of his career. If you're new to this, you've probably also noticed that these songs do not follow, or most of them anyway, do not follow a standard verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, guitar solo, verse, chorus type of arrangement. And there's nothing wrong with those anyway. But it makes uh, it very difficult for me or anybody else to edit any of this. So I'm going to use that as an excuse to not edit most of these and let them play their full length. In 1968, after a move to New York and a legendary string of performances at the Garrick Theater, the Mothers released were only in it for the money. It pushed ahead with the Mothers' use of sound collage, traditional song arrangements, and general weirdness, and poked fun more at the hippie side of things this time around. Hi, boys and girls. I'm Jimmy Carl Black. I'm the Indian of the group. What's there to live for? Who needs the peace corps? Think I'll just drop out. I'll go to Frisco, buy a wig, and sleep on Owsley's floor. Walk past the wig store. Danced at the Fillmore. I'm completely stoned. I'm hippie and I'm trippy, I'm a gypsy on my own. I'll stay a week and get the crabs and take a bus back home. I'm really just a phony, but forgive me cause I'm stoned. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you. Oh, my hair is getting good in the back. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. 
Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. First I'll buy some beads, and then perhaps a leather band to go around my head. Some feathers and bells, and a book of Indian lore. I will ask the Chamber of Commerce how to get to Hate Street and smoke an awful lot of dope. I will wander around barefoot. I will have a psychedelic gleam in my eye at all times. I will love everyone. I will love the police as they kick the shit out of me on the street. I will sleep. I will go to a house. That's, that's what I will do. I will go to a house where there's a rock and roll band because the groups all live together. And I will join a rock and roll band. I will be their road manager. And I will stay there with them and I will get the crabs, but I won't care. Besides thanking Donnie and Clay for provoking me to do this on their wonderful podcast, and also thanking Dennis Reeves for the original Zapathon all those years ago, I'm also going to thank periodically friends of mine that turn me on to different aspects of Frank Zappa's overwhelming output. Uh, the first one is my old friend from California, Greg, a.k.a. Grigor, who really was instrumental in turning me on to the early mother stuff. There will come a time when everybody who is lonely will be free to sing and dance and love. There will come a time when every evil that we know will be an evil that we can rise above. Who cares if hair is long or short or straight or partly gray? We know that hair ain't where it's at. There will come a time when you won't even be ashamed if you are fat. come to love about the mothers over the years is the general 60s grooviness that pervades all of it no matter how strange or unorthodox it gets i think something that gets lost from this time period is how absolutely groundbreaking all of this is you have to stop and think that just about every note of music you're hearing all the arrangements the string arrangements the horn arrangements were all done by a fairly young man by the about the age of 24, 25, uh, written down and transcribed in a very particular professional manner that was not expected from a rock musician, uh, nor ever really seen. And Frank was right there in the rarefied air with the Beatles and George Martin 
and Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys in pushing pop music to its absolute breaking point. Although I do understand that uh, Help, I'm a Rock may not be as popular as Good Vibrations or Eleanor Rigby, but nevertheless, he was right there with them. The original Mothers were the first and last of Frank's organic bands, meaning he meets some guys in a bar, they decide to form a band, uh, they rehearse, get some gigs, some good, some bad, the standard rock story. Variously, this group of characters were Jimmy Carl Black on drums and vocals, Ray Collins vocals, Roy Estrada bass and vocals, Billy Mundy, drums and percussion, Don Preston, keyboards, Bunk Gardner, woodwinds, Ian Underwood, piano, and James Motorhead Sherwood, sax. In 1969, Frank disbands the mothers of invention and quickly follows up with one of his most famous records, Hot Rats, and the incredible Peaches and Regalia. Thank you. 
Around this time, Frank, for reasons I don't know, continues the mother's name with a completely different band, including Flo and Eddie from the Turtles of Happy Together fame. Honestly, this is not one of my favorite versions of Frank's bands, but they did create Billy the Mountain, which I have to edit because it's 25 minutes long, but it is well worth the time. Thanks to the Caring Tour for this one. this far and you're new to Frank's music, you're probably a super fan by now. Everybody else is gone. <laughs> so what's most significant about this band is uh, not only the music, but some events that occurred during it. First, they were banned from a concert in the Royal Albert Hall due to objections to a lot of Frank's lyrics, not surprisingly, prompting the first of Frank's battles uh, with a Goliath uh, he sued the Royal Albert Hall for breach of contract, uh, an American trying American rock musician trying to fight in the English legal system. Not surprisingly, four years later, he lost the case. The second major event occurred in December of 1971 while in tour in Switzerland. While the band was playing in a casino, Literally, some stupa with a flare gun burned the place to the ground. 
I imagine the only reason the song was written about it, and uh, I can joke about it all these years later, is nobody was seriously injured miraculously, but all the mother's equipment was burned up with the casino. The band decided to continue the tour with rented equipment. Just a week later, a deranged audience member pushed Frank off the stage into the orchestra pit. Frank was seriously injured and spent the next six months in a wheelchair. This version of the mothers never play together again. Gotta love those long 70s fades. That's On the Slime from Overnight Sensation, 1973. Tina Turner and the Ikeettes are the uh, backup vocals on that. 
uh, uncredited by demand of Ike Turner. This is the beginning of my favorite period of Frank's. Uh, the music has become funky and the guitar is out front. The sister record Apostrophe came out the next year and it contains the famous Yellow Snow Suite on the first side, but this is my favorite song on it, Uncle Remus. His next great band is solidifying on these two records, but the core is there. One surprise is this absolute jam featuring Frank, Jack Bruce of Cream, and Jim Gordon of Derek and the Dominoes and a million sessions on drums.
Now we're in the middle of a four-album run by Frank that's just incredible. He'd been professionally in the business for eight years now and was hitting a second peak. How often does that happen? The next record is my absolute favorite and is the favorite of many other Frank Zappa fans. It's Roxy and Elsewhere, recorded at the Roxy in L.A., and is an unusual live album in that it debuts new material and a new band. To me, it's the perfect combination of Frank's musical complexity, lots of soul and feel from this new band, and Frank's humor is very much on display, especially with these funny spoken word intros to each song. Cheapness. Let me tell you something. Do you like monster movies? Anybody? I love monster movies. I simply adore monster movies, and the cheaper they are, the better they are. And cheapness, in the case of a monster movie, has nothing to do with the budget of the film, although it helps. But true cheapness is exemplified by visible nylon strings attached to the jaw of a giant spider. I'll tell you a good one that I saw one time. I think the name of the film was It Conquered the World. And the, do you ever see that one? The monster looks sort of like an inverted ice cream cone with teeth around the bottom. It's like a, like a teepee or a, sort of a rounded off pup tent affair. And uh, it's got fangs on the base of it. I don't know why, but it's a very threatening sight. And then he's got a frown and, you know, ugly mouth and everything. And there's this one scene where the uh, monster is coming out of a cave, see? There's always a scene where they come out of the cave at least once. And the rest of the cast, uh, it must have been made around the 1950s, the lapels are about like that wide, the ties are about that wide, and they're about this short. And they always have a little revolver that they're going to shoot the monster with. And there's always a girl who falls down and twists her ankle. (laughs) Of course there is. You know how they are. The weaker sex and everything, twisting their ankle on behalf of the little ice cream cone. Well, in this particular scene, in this scene, folks, they, uh, they didn't want to retake it because it must have been so good they wanted to keep it. But they, when the monster came out of the cave, just over on the left-hand side of the screen, you can see about this much two-by-four attached to the bottom of the thing as the guy is pushing it out. And then, obviously, off-camera, somebody's going, No, get it back. And they drag it back just a little bit as the guy's going... Now that's cheapness, right? And this is cheapness here. Come <laughs> on. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the monster which the peasants in this area call Frunabulax, apparently a very large poodle dog, has just been seen approaching the power plant. Bullets can't stop it. Rockets can't stop it. We may have to use nuclear force. Here comes that poodle dog. Big out of blip with a rhinestone collar. Guard is formed up at the base of the mountain is attempting to lure the enormous poodle towards a cave where they hope to destroy it with napalm. A thousand of the troopers are now lined up and are calling to the monster. Here, Fido. Here, Fido. Here, Fido. Got a great big slam to bang. Got a great big hell of a Got a great big poodle bang. Got a great big hell of a Got a great big slam to bang. Got a great big hell of a Along with this incredibly tight band, Frank's guitar playing also reached a new zenith. I am going to cut to the chase on this one, an excerpt from Son of Orange County.
Unlike most every other rock guitar player in the whole world, Frank would reach for low notes during a solo as opposed to high notes all the time. I always thought that was his trademark. As I can't go through and play everything from all 40 to 60 records, I also can't name uh, all the members of all his different bands. But along with the original Mothers, this band deserves a shout out. An interesting blend of highly schooled musicians and musicians who came up through the club circuit. They were Napoleon Murphy Brock, flute, tenor sax, and vocals. Frank discovered him in a cover band in Hawaii. George Duke, keyboards, synths, and vocals. The Fowler Brothers, Bruce on trombone, Walt on trumpet, and Tom on bass guitar. Tom played for 25 years with Ray Charles after this. The very underrated Ralph Humphrey on drums. On second drum kit, Chester Thompson and the incredible Ruth Underwood on percussion. Any musician in any of Frank's bands had to be incredibly talented and diligent to play this music. But I don't think anybody had to work as hard as the drummers. And this became a calling card for the rest of his bands. Here's an instrumental selection from the record. Remember that this is live.
that's a pretty clumsy edit, but what am I supposed to do? Where do you edit that? That uh, flows directly into a second instrumental track that is almost 10 minutes long, featuring a uh, vibe solo from Ruth and a double drum solo from Chester and Ralph. Out of the 60-odd records, I would absolutely recommend you start with this one. Additionally, it is now accompanied by a DVD performance of the same band, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, it's been lovingly restored after a becoming Zappa mythology and laying around in a vault for 30-something years because the nights that they recorded these, or filmed them, I should say, uh, the sync machine back then broke and nobody knew it so the audio and the visual were completely out of sync and there was no technology to put that back together until nowadays i'm going to bring part one to a close with a vocal tune from this record in which frank celebrates his lancaster desert home in his own way thank you thank you very much All right, does anybody here know where Palmdale is? You do? Good. Do you, have you ever heard of a place called Sun Village? You, some, some of you know where Sun Village is. Oh, it's out in back of Palmdale. All right. At one time, that used to be a uh, big place for raising turkeys. And uh, I went to high school in Lancaster, which is not far from, uh, from uh, Palmdale. Oh, is it very good for other things out there now? Good. <laughs> can't turn me up so they can hear what I'm saying. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a song about this place where I used to live, where they used to raise turkeys.
This podcast has been produced by Dennis Badiro. End of part one. To be continued in the next episode. Stay tuned.